Welcome, I'm John, one of your hosts, and this is Gotham TV Podcast, Episode 4, Gotham Central. We're going to take a look at issues 1 to 10 of the Ed Brubacher, Greg Rooker comic series. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host... Hi, I'm Derek. I'm your other co-host. I just want to start off by giving a quick apology for a very nerdy, stupid mistake I made in the last podcast. I obviously know that Watchmen wasn't written by Frank Miller. It was Alan Moore. I know it's one of my favorite books of all time, so I will I will mention Watchmen at any time connected to any writer who I have any kind of praise for. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Okay, and now this week's news. Now for a City Watch news brief here on GCN. Last week was a big anniversary for fans of Batman and mm-hmm. fans of Detective Comics with Batman in them, because obviously it was hashtag Batman 75. <laughs> and what that means is that it is 75 years since the introduction of Batman into Detective Comics. Yeah. And that was 1939, and it was issue 27. This is going to kick off a load of different events and comic releases and so on. Mm-hmm surrounding Batman um, over the course of the next year. People come at Batman through at different times, through different media. Absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, for me, it was with the Batman TV show, right. obviously, right. the whole camp version of it. <laughs> I remember that being on TV as a kid. Yeah. You know, you've got Adam West there, um, who, okay, that's why we all kind of love Family Guy as well, because he's Mayor West and he has... It's just, it's just the that memory and nostalgia of, uh, of the Batman TV uh, series there. Uh, yeah, with Adam West and Burt Ward and um, uh, Cesar Romero as yeah, exactly. Joker. Yeah, I, I remember it so well with you know the, the, the flamboyant version of the Penguin with his umbrellas. And, exactly. Yeah, and uh, it was all yeah. really and Eartha, kind of... Eartha Kitt as Catwoman as well. Just classics. Yeah, yeah. absolutely classics. Um, yeah. Without her, you... The idea of Michelle Pfeiffer just being that sultry, purring, sort of temptress wouldn't necessarily be there. Yeah, absolutely. And I I suppose with a bit of a heavy heart, one of our other news stories for the week is that we also saw the death of Lorenzo Semple Jr., um, who was one of the creators of the Batman TV show in the 60s. He he passed away on the eve of the 75th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a legacy that he left behind him. When we were kids, this was something that you absolutely tuned into every Saturday morning. And we're 20 years after the time that it was uh, that it was broadcast on TV. And it still had that legacy then. It still has that legacy now, even with the Nolan films, even with the comic books as, as popular as they are, even with the uh, the Burton films. The 60s TV show always stood out as something, you know. Yeah, exactly. It, it was something unique in time. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of memories for people. Okay, people might go, well, it was far too camp. There's definitely been that move away from the the bright colours, the bright lights, the that kind of stereotypical look of things like the penguin. But I mean that came from somewhere and Absolutely. it was part of the canon in that sense. So, Absolutely. Um, and I will guarantee before the Gotham T V show launches, I will guarantee we will at least cover uh, the Batman sixty six movie and I have a lot of fondness for that for that series and a lot to talk about. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, okay. So moving on really from the whole seventy fifth year of Batman. And we'll be talking about it a lot, though, in future. Yeah, so, the, but... there's a lot going on this year. Um, this brings us back to the Gotham TV series uh, with news that obviously there was a, a pilot script 
uh, that was leaked, and, and we kind of spotted that on bloodhavenbanter.com, mm. and it's certainly been tweeted around as well. And um, I think, you know, the people have looked at it and done kind of discussions on it, mm. and I think really we're, we just kind of want to say here at this stage that there has been a, a leaked pilot script mm. released, we don't know anything about it. We haven't really looked too much into it because we have no idea what kind of stage the draft was at, whether it was first, second, third. I think, you know, to kind of set out our mission statement of our show, you know, it's to, it's to have a conversation with everybody at the show and not to spoil things, to speculate absolutely about stuff that we know and stuff that, stuff that we've read and stuff that we're interested in. But reading a pilot script that was potentially in a very early draft it's it's very likely that a first draft and second draft of the show scripts will get out there and the people will have read it we're definitely not going to do a review of the pilot script i want to see the show i want to see how it translated to the tv i want to see how they translated the characters in the comics and the characters that we know from the movies and from general media how they translated into the into the show we're not going to do a, a pilot script cover or any kind of news on the pilot script. Um, no, and, and I think that goes for unofficial photos on set. I mean, we have released them where there's maybe been no context yeah. of the show. So it's been, they've been getting their makeup uh, sorted out off camera or it, it's them relaxing behind camera and so on. Or it, they may be doing a scene, but the context of yeah, it may be it is less so. And, you know, certainly there have been some unofficial Hmm. photographs where some things aren't necessarily a surprise even though there's quite high impact but others maybe little snippets that could provide spoilers for for those who are coming to it maybe in you this could exactly. be their first time looking at batman like it was for us looking at um the tv show from the 60s absolutely so in the 80s so what we want to say really is you're in safe hands we'll try not to spoil anything that we feel is a spoiler but Please tell us if we're going too far. If there's stuff that we're that we're spoiling for you, please tell us. So, so on another bit of Gotham news this week, both Donald Logue and Aaron Richards have tweeted that they finished Gotham recording this week, which is pretty yeah. quick. It's like about a month, uh, uh, roughly. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, pretty quick. I mean, we're going by the unofficial photos released, and they all came out quite quickly. We don't quite know when they started in relation to that, yeah. but TV production can be, and normally is, a pretty quick turnaround. Absolutely. Like, um, we, like we know, the series itself is uh, is 13 episodes. It's not a, it's not a 22-episode series or anything like that. It's a 13-episode series. Donald Logue has said... Gotham in the can was his was his tweet yeah. and thanked all the people that were involved in it. Aaron Richards said that the first be- beautiful warm day in New York of the year and I'm finished, I'm leaving. Tweeted back by Victoria Cartagena saying that she'll make sure the sun is there when she gets back. There's obviously, there seems to be quite a good rapport between the cast. Yeah, actually, it, it, it you, seems as though Twitter, there's a good, so, yeah. a definitely a good rapport happening and occurring with, with all the, the different actors. Yeah. So, I mean, this sort of bodes well. And I suspect, I mean, editing is always the big, the big job that has to be done. Done. And certainly with TV or video, mm. that increases exponentially, and certainly yeah. sort of on you know broadcast television. But still, it would normally be quicker than obviously film. So Absolutely. again, they're probably on that downtime, waiting until the next script is released for the second episode, ready to come back and do filming on that. Yeah, yeah, or possibly considering Donald Logue is quite a big actor in things like the Vikings, which is which is quite big still. Maybe they've just taken him in and, and he's recorded all his bits of Harvey Bullock for the full season within you know a couple of weeks they've got him in and they've, they've recorded everything they need from him and he'll come back in a couple of months to do a, to do kind of pickups or, the, or to do some additional stuff for the episodes yeah maybe yeah, yeah. so quite an interesting piece of news 
So I suppose in, in kind of a, the other section of news that we cover for this podcast is the connected DC Universe news. Um, there's been a bit of gaming news this week, which uh, which always excites me and always excites John. Yeah, yeah. So some of the uh, some of the gaming. <laughs> I stuff, mean that in an excited yeah, way. Yeah. That sounded not <laughs> as excited as yeah, I, yeah, I sure. am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally. But we've got we've got two pieces of Batman news. We talked uh, recently about the uh, the release of Arkham Knight, which is the uh, the fourth in the series of Batman Arkham games uh, from Rocksteady. They've just recently released uh, this week, this uh, in, in Ireland, uh, they just released Batman Arkham Blackgate, which is a port of the game for, from the PlayStation Vita, which they've remastered for uh, for consoles. So they've remastered for the, play, for the PlayStation 3 and for the Xbox. Downloadable for about 19 euro. Uh, and it's done in a in a comic kind of fashion as yeah. well. It's an animation, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not like, I suppose it's not as high quality as the uh, as the Arkham games have been but there's a storyline and it's it's about a lot of the uh, a lot of the villains from um, from the Arkham City universe and from all of Batman's rogues gallery being locked up in Blackgate prison uh, and Batman going in to take them down and there's another there's a new storyline in there with which we haven't seen yet if well I don't have a visa so uh, I haven't seen it yet uh, so I'm, I'm interested to play it I've downloaded it I'll, uh, I think I'll give a, give a bit of a, a verdict on it or a review on it in an upcoming show but yeah really intrigued to play that one other piece of, of gaming news, the first and I think only uh, single-player add-on uh, for the Batman Arkham Origins game is going to be available later on this month. It's Cold Cold Heart, which is... Can you guess who that is? Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's is not it? Edward Nigma. It, uh, it, uh, it is Mr. Freeze. Freeze. Yeah, it's Mr. Freeze's story, and apparently it's the origin story of Mr. Freeze is going to be told in-game. So we saw him in, in Arkham City, and we saw him in, uh, in Arkham Asylum. Mostly in Arkham, I think Arkham City was the big one. Yeah, I mean, in Arkham Asylum, it was just it was just kind of a reference to him. Yeah. But in the Arkham City game, there was a little story where you got to meet him and you got to meet his frozen wife. Yeah, uh, it was really really good, and this yeah. should hopefully sort of expand on that further. Yeah, and we'll put up the trailer for the game uh, in our show notes. I think it's about two, it's about two three hour add on uh, playthrough time. Yeah, and I think uh, obviously that ties in then quite nicely with I suppose what we're doing. The, the review of the first 10 issues of Gotham Central. Yeah. Because yeah. there is a little appearance there of Mr. Freeze. Yeah. There's two games there that are, are being released this year. I mean, there's so much Batman stuff mm-hmm. uh, happening this year um, with uh, Arkham Knight, uh, with these DLCs coming yeah. out um, for Arkham Origins. Absolutely. And obviously transferring from Vita onto yeah. PS3, PS4, yeah. you know, is really good. Yeah, um, so much appetite. Gaming. And do you know what the best part about this is? Doing a podcast, it means we'll never run out of news. So I love, I love making sure that we always have a news section and we'll always have something to say. In some other Batman 75 news, Bruce Tim, the creator of Batman animated series and some other big Batman animated movies, such mm. as Batman Beyond, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and also the big one, which was excellent, I remember, Batman Return of the Joker, has, for the 75th anniversary of Batman, has released a two-minute animated short called Strange Days. Mm -hmm. And I think if people want to go and check that out, they can do that on YouTube. Yeah, so just search up Bruce Tim, Strange Days. Really good short, it's just just two minutes, but it's about the kind of style of of Batman the Animated Series, which is something that I watched a lot when I was younger. Yeah. uh, You watched loads as well, didn't you? So really good to kind of see Bruce Tim come back and do do a little short for the anniversary. Just two and a half minutes, so. Yeah, and um, maybe there'll be some more of these little snippets then 
over the course of the next year, which yeah. will be really exciting and hopefully really good. Yeah. Of course, we had the situation where we had a little prediction, a little bet. Um, yeah. Over here, we've had the Grand National recently, where Derek was a big winner. I won lots. Um, I didn't win quite so much, but we had a prediction. It was during our episode three on our review of Batman Year One. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the week beginning 24th of March, and Gotham TV were releasing a lot of official pictures of Donald Logue as Harvey Bullock. There was Cameron uh, Dover as Catwoman. Yeah, Alfred Pennyworth, obviously, John Pertwee, yeah. uh, all being released. And then uh, the only other one that was released then by the time we were recording was of uh, the Penguin. Robin Lord Taylor as Robin the Lord Penguin. Taylor, yeah. And so we kind of were then said, well, we thought there would be on the Wednesday of that week, Thursday and Friday, that there would be three more official releases because there were three still big characters there to be released in the form of Bruce Wayne, Fish Mooney, and Jim Gordon. Yeah. I was predicting that it would be Bruce, Fish Mooney, and then Jim Gordon. Yeah. And, and I went for Jim Gordon, uh, Bruce Wayne, and Fish Mooney as our final release because of the two weirder characters being Fish and Bruce. I thought they might leave those to the last reveals. You were, again, almost the bigger winner than I was. I got it completely wrong, so don't ever listen to any of my predictions because obviously well, there's, um, <laughs> there's a reason why you chose the order yeah, you chose as well i know well i chose them because i thought well, jim is the central guy that's being put forward you know it's it's about gotham it's about the police department and mm-hmm. jim is central to all that he's the glue that holds everything together exactly. so that jim would be the big reveal on friday coming off maybe a more different, slightly weirder-looking Fish Mooney, Mm. whereas your kind of rationale was that because maybe we haven't seen anything of Fish Mooney, it would be a big... So she would be kind of quite different from all the other characters, and that would be the big reveal. It does make it slightly sound like we think Fish Mooney is going to be dressed in a fish costume when we we say she's going to be weird. (laughs) But... My God! (laughs) Oh, no. Um, But we... Obviously, we just don't know what she looks like. That was kind of the the feeling, so... You were right, in part, Mm -hmm. and that evening, after we had literally recorded it, guess who was released, and it was Ben McKenzie as Jim Gordon. Yeah. So you got that right, but then unfortunately Bruce Wayne yep. and Fish Mooney are still a big surprise. So yeah. she could, she could like still come dressed as a fish. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or possibly, but I suppose chips. to be fair, <laughs> yeah. to be fair, right? So what we actually predicted, I predicted was Jim Gordon was going to be the photo released on the day we were recording. And mm-hmm. what you predicted was that Jim Gordon was going to be the final photograph released. So both of us technically got part of our prediction yeah right okay that'd be fair about it that's a nicer way of putting it we were both right we were both almost winners (laughs) and both wrong um but hey um so coming back also to the tv show then uh we have obviously a large announcement for the uh tv show and that is that riddle is this Corey Michael Smith has been cast as the Riddler. Mm. And he apparently is only in maybe the first few episodes. That's what I've read on this, is that he's in the pilot, but there's not technically a pilot here. So maybe the first one or two of the episodes that he will be in. Mm. I can't say we really know him very well. I know that he's linked with Amelia Clark of Game of Thrones fame. Yes. Um, whether he's going out with her or 
he's her dragon handler. Um, <laughs> we we just don't know, but I think they, he's linked there. We know he's been in dog food, and sorry, no, sorry, I correct myself. He um, starred in a film called a film Dog Club. Food, okay. where a dog goes missing. Close to a butcher's. Yeah. yeah, that was last year. That was only last year. That's, that sounds very good, Jeff. Well, I mean, it does. And when I was looking at some information on Corey Michael Smith, yeah, it was he was in dog food. Um, <laughs> poor guy. Yeah, like he's he's a stage actor. Yeah, from from what we from what we know about him, he's a stage actor. Derek gets right to the point that it's a stage actor. I was meandering. No, 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 no. <laughs> but we don't know much about him. He's playing Edward Nigma. Is pretty much the statement from the team. Not playing Redler, it's very much the he is Edward Nigma. So this is this is probably pre Riddler. Um, oh, de- most definitely, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, Someone... I love the Riddler as a character, yeah. and so Edward Nigma, brilliant. And um, but yeah. I just keep calling him Riddler. Of course, of course. But there's there's some great things they've done with with Edward Nigma, where he's a police investigator and um, gets annoyed that the police aren't solving cases quickly enough. So that's why he turns into a villain to create cases that they're that they'll find even more difficulty solving. So yeah. is that the path they might take with, with Edward? You know? Will he just be a bit part? Will it just be a Oh that's Edward Nigma and he walked past in the background. We don't know. I mean yet, I, but, I hope um, not. I, I hope he becomes a, a more regular feature within the series. And yeah. um, if if indeed that's even correct what what's kind of been floated out there that he's mm. only in maybe the first episode or mm. the first couple of episodes. With an option for a few more yeah. the, I mean I would hope that he's incorporated more fully into the show. We posted up on our website uh, there's some photographs of, of two other characters which will become important as you listen to our review of Gotham Central in a moment. But yeah, Rene Montoya and, uh, and Chris Vizalan have been cast. We've seen some photographs of them on set with, uh, with Ben McKenzie, who plays our Jim Gordon. They seem to be on the steps of a, a relatively large building and we kind of as- are assuming that it's the... Gotham City Police Department, because there's an awful lot of police hanging around, walking up and down the steps. People looking very detective-ery or (laughs) detective-like in in the background. So I was was wondering was the courthouse, though, as well. It could be the courthouse. Which is the Thomas Wayne courthouse. It may be. It could be the courthouse. I I was kind of... I did think that, but Mm. then I didn't really see anyone that looked like lawyers in the back of the shots. It all seemed to be... Police. That is true. But we know uh, we know Rene Montoya is uh, is going to be played by um, Victoria Cartagena. Yeah. And uh, Chris Allen is going to be played by Andrew Stewart Jones. So I'm really intrigued by the portrayals. Like we'll t- we'll talk about it during our our Gotham Central uh, re- review. But they're two quite Gotham Central characters. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And uh, again, another strange link for this week that's mm-hmm. that seems to have occurred. Absolutely. Where it's like we planned it. It's awesome. It is. Yeah. It is very odd. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all for the news. Is there any anything else you want to add? Or no, I think um I think that's all. No other apologies for wrong information from last week. No, I know that is something that I didn't get quite right mm-hmm. in in the last episode, episode three, but right. I just can't remember it. I'll have to I'll have to go and listen to myself. <laughs> so if anybody else has just listened to the episode and realised what John got wrong, uh, send it in to us and you might get a batarang as a prize. <laughs> no, you'll, yeah, get a, you'll, you'll get a nice thank you letter. Yes, 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 you might get a thank you letter. Okay, I guess that's it for the news. Just to make sure you know, there's definitely going to be spoilers for Gotham Central, uh, all ten issues that are coming up. Uh, if you want to read the books and then come back to us, 
go right ahead if you're not interested about spoilers and you and you want to hear what we think and then go back and read the books you can do so but we will be spoiling everything about the first 10 issues So, to our review of uh, the Gotham Central comic series. Mm. Uh, this was a 40-issue series, and we will be looking at issues 1 through to 10 in yeah. today's episode. That essentially is three story arcs within the first 10 episodes. It's In the Line of Duty, Motive, and Half a Life. And this was a comic series that was written by Ed Brubaker and Greg Rooker artwork by Michael Lark. Mm-hmm. They were the three principal people involved on this. Yeah, Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker fought for a long time to get this series. They they wanted to focus on the other darker corners of the Batman universe, the areas that people hadn't really focused on before. And, you know, the reason why we're covering it, obviously, is, is that this is what Gotham, the TV show, is really going to focus on, is the areas that have not been covered in, in the films, you know, or have only been covered lightly in the films and, and TV shows in the past. So, yeah. In particular, though, obviously, it was they were looking at the darker elements that were within the police department Absolutely, as well. Yeah. There's two writers on board for this. They decided to split the story arcs of the comic series. So Greg Rucker would write the day shift and Ed Brubacker would then obviously take the night shift storylines. They were in, themselves were working as a partnership in writing this story and this these sets of comics for their audience. Yeah, so that yeah. that's really quite interesting. Generally the comic book is well known as being a, a critical success but not a commercial success. But its fans seem to be pretty die hard they seem to really really enjoy it and i can kind of see why we'll, we'll talk about our opinions of yeah uh, I, I mean one of the arcs was nominated for an eisner awards yeah, um, yeah and so definitely good storytelling i don't think we ultimately i mean certainly for myself i actually went in with very little expectation i yeah. was something i i hadn't read before from the gotham universe and and the dc universe mm-hmm. where you know it's essentially looking at the series from the the non-supervillains or the hero of the regular comics, which yeah. is Batman and, and his foes. I think we have to s- stress here is that this is focused on the detectives and the, the inspectors of the Gotham City Police Department, mm-hmm. but it does have, unlike the show um, that will come out later this year, it does have Batman mm-hmm. and it does have familiar figures... And most of the the villains are fully formed and they're at the height of their powers. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. they they are the in that sense it's it's not like what Gotham TV show is likely to be. Yeah, to coin a phrase or to use a phrase, I suppose the the shadow of the bat hangs heavy over the full series that we've gone through. It's it's very much there is the presence of, of Batman is, is still there and that's kind of part of the reason why the, the characters are, are doing a lot of the stuff they do is because Batman is in the background. There is Jim Gordon, but Jim Gordon's retired. There is a mention of Harvey Bullock, but he's not president. Yeah. Present, not president. Issues one and two of Gotham Central are titled In the Line of Duty. A summary of the story is that basically a routine investigation by two detectives that we get introduced to, uh, which is Marcus Driver and Charlie Fields, and they're investigating 
uh, a missing person. Their investigation leads to uh, an uncovering of a of a much larger plot by a much more dangerous villain mm-hmm. against the police department in, in Gotham. Mm-hmm. Hadn't really got any expectation moving into this, and I think there was a sense with the title anyway that for me that. In the line of duty, I should say, uh, and what happens? And mm. normally, it's killed goes at the front of that. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think it's that sense of the danger that these regular cops and detectives at the Gotham Central Police Department are in when they're up against sort of heightened supervillains, such as the one that we see later on in these two issues. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know whether to spoil it or not, <laughs> and I suppose that's that's one of the other things, is that you know, we will spoil these comics. Yes. So I suppose, what's your, what's your kind of what's your kind of number one thing that really stood out for you in the first arc of it? My big standout thing for me from these first two issues ultimately was the attitude of the detectives. Mm. In particular, the Attitude of the detectives and the whole major crimes unit towards the Batman. Mm. And you get this sense from Marcus Driver, who is one of the detectives that you're introduced to. He says, I want to ask you not to use the signal to let us handle this one ourselves. And it's this idea that they kind of don't want the Batman to be around. Yeah. It's it's a really interesting attitude. It's kind of like he overshadows them, he upstages them um, in doing their day-to-day job. And it's like, they can't close off a case. They're not getting any job satisfaction. Yeah. And it's maybe a bit demoralizing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I, wrote, I, wrote, I wrote a similar point down myself, just that they don't want to, do, to let the Batman do their job. They know when the sun goes down, their time is up. They know that the Batman's going to arrive, and he's going to just solve the problem. You know, if they if they encounter a supervillain or a person in a in a costume, and the Batman knows about it, he's just going to come out and take them out when it hits midnight. This, that's a really interesting idea to have in a comic series that is centered in a city that is synonymous with this hero of of that city, which is the Batman. Yeah. This idea that, you know, is the Batman a friend or foe? Is he a menace to the city or is he the city's saviour? And in some respects for the detectives of the major crimes unit, well, why bother turning up the next day almost to an extent? You know, know, well, the the villains could run the daytime and Batman could just take care of them at night is kind of the thing, you know. And that becomes ever more present and it, it becomes more heightened for these cops because... One of the things that Marcus Driver has to contend with is that he sees his partner, Charlie Fields, mm. get killed yeah. by the supervillain in, in these first two issues. And yeah. that's one of the other standout things for me, actually, is this whole, the deaths that, are, that occur from and... Mr. Freeze. Victor von Fleisch. Yeah. He um <laughs> he turns the cops into copsicles <laughs> and the criminals into crimsicles. So it's yeah. you know I think it to- it totally stood out to me. That's my that's my absolute takeaway from these first two issues, the brutality of Mr. Freeze. You know, you kinda of see him taken down quite a lot, making a lot of threats in in, in in the older Batman comics that I'm that I'm used to. He's the man that makes the threats, he's the man that freezes people. But this is brutal. What yeah. he does is, you know, he slight free- torture. Yeah, he freezes Charlie Fields, the the, the partner of, of Marcus Driver. He freezes him, 
so that his blood is slowed and he dies a slow and painful death. They can't warm him up or else they'll kill him. It's really brutal. It's really yeah. brutally written. And then he shatters him like yeah, shatters uh, him. a glass. Yeah. Not only is Charlie Fields essentially frozen incredibly slowly mm-hmm. and gets shattered, his partner has to watch this happen yeah. because he doesn't, Mr. Freeze does not kill Marcus Driver. Mm-hmm. He freezes his feet to the ground yeah. and immobilizes him and then freezes his hands and his ear to the wall yeah. and makes him watch. Exactly. This is really, really brutal, brutal yeah. stuff. And, um, and then he moves on, and then he moves on and, and you know he's got a partner in crime which is how they found uh, Danny, how, uh, Marcus and Charlie found him yeah, yeah. and then the next the, the, the second issue opens with Danny's already dead he's just yeah. he's no no longer serves a purpose for Victor and he kills him yeah and it's he's frozen from the inside out yeah 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 it's it's really brutal and, and you know then then and then you get onto the overall plot of what he what he's doing what what is Victor's purpose why why are the Gotham PD after him there's been a, a jewel heist they they realize he's looking for some diamonds to yeah. power his suit to obviously pull off a huge caper and all you would have seen from the Batman side of this is the huge caper what you see from this is all the stuff that would lead up that leads up to that huge caper essentially. Yeah, and what's I mean, he trying to do? What's what's his what's his purpose? It's huge. Well, it is, but I just you see Certainly. it from the Gotham side. I just want to exactly. quick quickly kind of. This is slightly amusing to me in my own head, mm-hmm. but I just suddenly thought of stormtroopers. Right. I actually thought that even stormtroopers have families, and it is this kind of idea yeah. that Gotham City. Uh, you know, you actually see. Uh, I think it's Nora. It's, you see Charlie Field's uh, wife mm. come into the morgue and sure. see the fact that her husband, that she loved, cared for, and mm. um, they had a happy life together, yeah. is essentially in a whole thousands of blue frozen pieces in the morgue that they've had to keep in the freezer because otherwise it would just go to mush. Yeah. And it's a really interesting scene where Nora and Marcus Driver are there where she's to try and identify her husband yeah. and so i almost had this and it doesn't mark it doesn't mark us even say you don't need to you don't need to be here we know who yeah. it is there's no necessity for you to be here she says she wants to see it it's a hugely effective yeah. moment of the comic and i think this is something that will play out throughout the other the yeah. other issues it is quite an effective comic it is quite a well a very well written comic it was like uh, our previous episode episode mm. three on the review of batman year one yeah where batman saves two corrupt cops and he goes even corrupt cops have got families yeah and yeah. it's the same here i got that whole sense of stormtrooper where even the bad guys all the good guys all the just the regular guys mm-hmm. like these cops doing their job investigating essentially a missing person mm-hmm. that's that's what they went out to investigate was a simply a missing person yeah. Yeah. and charlie fields ends up killed in a really brutal fashion Absolutely. and his wife has the consequences of that to deal with. Yeah. And so I, I, I kind of got that um, impression. But going back to what you were saying previously yeah. about, you know, what is it that Mr. Freeze is looking to do? It's really, really big. Because yeah. he is wanting to strike at the Gotham Police Department. Exactly. And exactly. ultimately against the one person from Gotham City Police Department that everyone knows, and that is... Jim Gordon. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's at a presentation. He's uh, he's just been 
presented with an honorary doctorate in criminology for his service to the community. He's also giving the speech for for all of these brand new cops that are coming uh, coming on board. Yeah, and Mr. Freeze is wanting to essentially take him out and send a message to the police department. Yeah. He has this this phrase at the the very start of, of issue one when he has Marcus Driver pinned to the the wall in some way. He says, you know, essentially all you Gotham City police are stupid yeah. you, you've, yeah. you, you can't get me and he essentially goes after the one that he feels is a threat yeah. that can take him down yeah. but lo and behold the thing that all these police are and detectives who they don't want to get involved the Batman gets involved yeah yeah and is you know as I said the brutality of Mr. Freeze really continues to come out he takes out a SWAT team he's so close to taking out Jim Gordon and all the brand new graduates. But Batman comes in, saves the day, as you'd expect. What really stands out about the, about the story, as, as why it's different from everything I've, everything I've read before, is all you would have seen in a Batman comic is Mr. Freeze steals some diamonds, goes on a, an attack of Jim Gordon and the students, and Batman stops him. This is all the interesting stuff that that falls in between those cracks in the storyline. You know, yeah. Inter- yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Batman saves the day, mm. but he hands it over then to the police department. In... Yeah, it's, oh, he's upstairs. He's knocked out. Yeah, he's knocked out. Knocked out. You, you yeah. cough him. Mr. Freeze is knocked out upstairs. Go up and get him. I've sorted it out for you. And ex- is expecting the plot. It's ex- is expecting the... Re- not even expecting to be rewarded for it. He's, he's walking away going, I've done my job. Off I go. You guys just take care of it. Yeah, and he says that Captain Margaret Sawyer, who who is the captain of the Major Crimes Unit, the arc ends with, again, this mm-hmm. really interesting meeting. I'm not entirely sure why Batman is stood next to Marcus Driver's car. I, I'm not entirely sure I understand whether that was at the university and Marcus Driver was leaving to go back, or whether that was at Gotham City Police Department. I'm, I kind of wasn't it's entirely a, it's, sure. It's after the fact. I think that, to me, it looks as if Batman was just looking for some kind of credit for what he'd just done. He's essentially found the guy that killed Marcus's partner, wants to tell Marcus, don't worry, it's alright, I've taken care of it for you. But Marcus has has that reaction to him, which is, screw you, Batman, I wanted to take care of it myself, essentially. Yeah, basically. And he also just has just found out from Montoya that the case that him and Charlie were on, the, yeah. the missing kid has been found dead and, and didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And he kind of just looks at Batman and goes, damn it all to hell and damn you too. Yeah. And that's straight to Batman. Yeah. Batman then flies off. That ends issue two of, of the series and that arc. And it's a really different perspective for the ending of the comic strip to essentially be, damn you, Batman. Yeah. Damn you for saving the day, Batman. That was my job. Moving now on to issues three, four, and five of Gotham Central, and this covers the arc called Motive, parts one, two, and three. And essentially this arc, which looks at two concurrent investigations at the Gotham City Police Department, uh, it, it looks at Marcus Driver taking up the old case of the missing girl, Bonnie Lewis, and it also then looks at Sergeant Davis and investigating uh, the, the criminal firebug who's on a series of arson 
uh, attacks around Gotham. Mm. And it looks and charts the investigation of these two crimes. Um, but also then there is developments within the case that bring these two separate investigations closer together. It also focuses in much more on the, the police in the major crimes unit of Gotham City Police Department as well. And you get a feeling of those those cops doing their job and investigating crimes. In a sense, a police procedural aspect to it. But you get to know the, the cops and the detectives uh, much more and the interactions between them. Yeah, absolutely. And how they, how they investigate a crime, I suppose. So, you know, what we saw in the first arc was very much a an investigation about Mr. Freeze and how it was followed up and how it was solved by Batman, essentially. The arc here is mostly about an investigation into a kidnapping and murder of a young girl. That's what it's mostly focused on. So yeah. you're seeing something that the police force themselves would be investigating. While the two investigations do intersect... There's a lot more about Bonnie Lewis. Yeah, that, that that particular crime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's mainly because Marcus Driver wants to... One of the things you see in this arc is you see the, the, the board in the major crimes unit where you've still got this outstanding case under Charlie Fields' name. The, the, or the late Charlie Fields was, was Marcus Driver's uh, partner who got killed by Mr. Freeze in, in the first issue of, yeah. of Gotham Central. And it's this... Marcus, for his memory, wants to close this case off and get a result on the case for his late partner. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this series, for me, is that breather moving forward. The first two have Batman, they have Mr. Freeze, they have Jim Gordon, they have these three iconic characters involved yeah. in the plot. I don't mean that they overshadow the story of the police, but they, they are prominent within that, and that's very familiar for everyone who would read yeah. about Gotham and Batman. Absolutely, it's um, like it's like the big guest stars on a TV show. The thing exactly. that draws people in to start reading a book. I'm presuming that uh, Brubaker and Greg Rucka, they had a you know their idea was to pull people in, get them to have a look at the first couple of issues, and hopefully continue on with the stories of the individual cops in the yeah. and that's it. I think so. I just think this is this is a slight breather. It's a chance for everyone who reads the comics to get to know the detectives within the Major Crimes Unit much better, but more particularly uh, Marcus Driver from the first two issues. You get to see him much more prominent within these uh, three. I'm focusing on his grief to try and close out this case, but also yeah. he's now partnered up with uh, a new cop, Romy Chandler. Mm -hmm. um, and so just seeing this new partnership start uh, and develop as well yeah because as you say you know this is something that marcus is obviously feeling feeling a lot of loss after losing his partner he returns to the police force he's immediately told that he should still be on leave he's told not to come back into this but he yeah. says he wants to solve this case for the memory of his partner um yeah it's just a really well done investigation it's a really well done story where they take in the full procedure of how they would investigate these two cases and uh, and show how good the gotham city pt and the major crimes unit themselves are at investigating what exactly. a seemingly I suppose a seemingly unsolvable crime. I think one of the things you uh, were saying to to me was just the these scenes w between the cops where you, you get a bit of the banter um, yeah. and and a bit of lightheartedness coming in into the comics and, and you see sort of the more lighthearted element of the job. It's not simply crime, crime, crime. Yeah, issue three opens up with uh, one of the guys yeah. in in the MCU talking about you know whether bad guys think they're really bad or whether they think 
they can justify their own actions to be the hero in their own movie almost, you know? It's a discussion that's, you know, been had many, many times, I think, within these kind of centres. But a great moment where one of the agents go, oh, I bet that's what Hitler probably told himself at the time. And they stop the conversation. That's the one rule. Yeah. If you mention Hitler and, and what Hitler thought, that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> exactly. So if we ever mention Hitler, yeah. other than where it's a plot point, other than we're quoting start, it, yeah. <laughs> if we ever mention Hitler within our podcast, then it's it's the podcast over. It's game over. It's a nice little scene of them having this this chat, and do they know they're doing evil, or do they actually think they're doing good? Some of these evil people, and the difference between sort of low level criminals where they may not even know what they're doing compared to then the Mr. Freezes that we've yeah. just seen. And, and Two-Face, I think, is mentioned. By yeah, yeah. Two-Face. And, you know, they actually say they're talking about the regular scales, the regular criminals, um, and not the freaks and the, the serial murderers. Mm. And maybe they even ultimately see Batman as, as one of those freaks those as well. Freaks. There's also this, this investigation. Complex, quite intertwining investigation that's occurring but uh, but Marcus Driver and Romy Chandler are are heading up here yeah um, and maybe this i mean i think one of the things to say i actually really enjoyed these these investigations um, and certainly the one for the the missing babysitter Bonnie Lewis because it tied it nicely into the first two and it kept that momentum going within the police department yeah but um, like issue issue two ended with the revelation that the girl they were trying to find who had been kidnapped her body's been found yeah yeah, yeah. and that's kind of how this the investigation begins I mean, potentially, I would say, and I could imagine it's not for everyone. If you you, you like to have the the big characters like Batman or the big villains like a Mister Freeze, then maybe this isn't necessarily your cup of tea. And um, but I I really like the investigation. I like how it panned out. I mean, it wasn't just a straightforward one, and then it also brought together two different strands, which yeah. were, were really, really good, um, and bringing in sort of a lesser-known villain's firebook as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. I believe he's appeared in other Batman media before, I suppose, but uh, I definitely wasn't aware of him. But he's treated as such, which is quite interesting. He's treated as somebody that you might have heard of, you might not, very low-level villain. So the cops can't find him at first, and they're trying to work out who he is, and how long has he been off the scene is kind of the... Yeah, and this is, this is primarily being investigated by Sergeant Davis yeah. and I mean essentially you and it's one of the great sort of artistic pains I think at the end of issue four where you have the person who was known as Firebook he's jumped out the window and he's landed on on a car it's a really excellent final frame of just this guy on top of the the car having yeah. jumped out the window to try and escape Sergeant Davis yeah. and his and the other detectives. Yeah, with no jetpack or parachute or anything, just jump straight out a window onto the, onto the top of a car. And, uh, no, yeah. exactly. And we find out that actually he's the old firebook. Yeah. His his costume and all the jetpacks and and all the fire making kit that he once had, he sold online. Yeah, um, to a collector. To a collector um, who also wanted to know. How does that gun work? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That begins to sort of go, right, okay, we have the wrong guy here. We're actually looking for a totally new firebook, someone who's taken up that mantle. We then come back to the whole investigation for who had killed Bonnie Lewis. Mm -hmm. And it started off as a kidnapping, yeah. and it, they essentially start to look for where the ransom's going to come and no ransom actually does come and then they find her body sort of underneath a big underpass yeah. in, in the city yeah. which and again is, is quite a good little, uh, little piece of art there the, the panel 
where they find her body. It is mm. it is quite an affecting piece because you're thinking it's a young teenage girl who's been found dead, and it's you know it's really well drawn. I I feel they, they go through different lines of investigation. First of all, the mom and dad who have hired Bonnie to babysit for them. Mm-hmm. They go back and revisit them and and their story. There's a homeless guy that yeah. lives in there. They go and investigate him, thinking maybe he's mugged her while she's been walking back home. Yeah, and there's almost a bit of a commentary on, you know, a bit of a social commentary here. Yeah. Like, there's one homeless guy who lives in this neighbourhood. He lives in the park, all are surrounded by these really affluent houses and really well-to-do citizens. And everybody in, in, in the area seems to just be pointed the finger. It must be that homeless guy that you talk to every day. And it comes back to that whole Gotham, the the city of contradictions and, and, and differences where you have this incredible wealth personified by the Wayne family. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you have next to that people living under underpasses, living in cardboard boxes in, in parks. Yeah. And it keeps just not making sense. They can't find out where it went from being a simple kidnapping and why it went from a kidnapping to ultimately a murder. Yeah. And it comes back to them under the, the underpass where they found the body. And I think Marcus, he says the line, we need to come back to square one to find out. You know, that's what my old partner would have done. I don't know what Romy thought of that, but yeah. uh, maybe she felt slightly... Slightly uh, offended. Slightly by offended, <laughs> slightly upset. But, you know, we need to come back, look over the scene again, come back to square one, see if we can find anything new that triggers off a new line of inquiry. Then they kind of come to this realisation that where they are under the underpass is not square one. This is actually square two. It's where the body of Bonnie Lewis has been brought to. Mm -hmm. And square one is wherever she was kidnapped. She's been moved, ultimately, and moved from wherever she was killed. She wasn't killed in that place. And the investigation starts to then refocus back onto the babysitter, the mum and dad who had hired Bonnie Lewis, because they suddenly realised that she was found with no money on her. Yeah, they they were the last people to have seen her. They said they paid for the babysitting duties. This was one of the reasons that they pointed the finger at the homeless guy. They said he must have killed her for the money she got from babysitting. But they realise that it all stretches back to, to the parents. And all of a sudden, it's how did they get the body there? And it starts to intertwine with ultimately the firebug mm-hmm. uh, investigation. And they set up a sort of, a, it's an entrapment in a sense, I suppose, or a, a scenario where the old firebug is there. Uh, with his arms in casts and so on, yeah. his legs in casts. At the police station. At the police yeah. station. And they bring in the father um, who hired Bonnie Lewis into the police station. It's in, in a contrived situation to look at the lineup that they've got where the homeless guy from the park is in to see if he can identify him. Yeah. And as he walks past the original firebug, instantly he goes, that's the guy who bought my costume. How did you find him? And it transpires that um, Bonnie Lewis was essentially snooping around as all good babysitters do, (laughs) checking out to see what these people have, is there anything weird, and she comes across this secret compartment Mm -hmm. um, within the the bedroom, and behind that is the firebug outfit and, and the gas cylinders and everything. And, of course, this has been big news because Firebug has been terrorising Gotham, Mm -hmm. setting buildings on fire. And he finds out, and so instead of giving the wage that she was deserved, unfortunately, he he kills her. But he gets caught. Mm -hmm. He gets his just desserts. Absolutely. And that kind of wraps up the investigation with a nice, nice, neat little bow. And so Marcus decides now he's solved the crime. I think the story finishes with probably the best moment of the entire piece where um, where Marcus goes up to the roof 
turns on the bat <laughs> signal and gets the Batman to show up, yeah. yeah, and then tells him, I solved a case without your help. I was able to do this. What you did last time, solving my case, and yeah. without allowing me to get the retribution that I feel I deserved for the killer of my partner, I've now been able to solve this case, and you weren't even involved. And not only that, it's two for the price of one, because we got Firebug as well. Mm-hmm. It's a great finishing. He doesn't get the response, I think, that he is hoping for yeah. from Batman. Batman essentially says, thank you. And then tells him, don't you dare turn on the bat signal ever again. Great line then from Roman Chandler who comes up on the roof and she goes, oh my God, what did you do? Are your pants dry? Essentially confronted the Batman and he doesn't need to change his underwear. So now we're on to the final arc that we're going to be covering within this podcast, uh, issue 6 to 10, which is titled Half a Life. In these issues, uh, Rene Montoya, another member of the of the major crimes unit, uh, former partner of Harry Bullock, is being targeted by a suspect in a former case where she used excessive force. When this suspect ends up being murdered, it brings her into the sights of the Internal Investigations Division, and there's another shadowy figure who seems determined to bring down her, her personal and professional life. This story arc was by... Greg Rooker. Up till now, all the written aspects of these issues have been by Ed Brubacher. Mm-hmm. And now we move on from issues 6 to 10 to Greg Rooker being the, the main writer yeah. um, on this. And actually, it's probably one of the more well-known arc within this series. And amongst others, what it won uh, an Eisner Award in 2004 uh, for Best Serialized Story. Ten years ago. So yeah. that's a... Uh, I feel old now. <laughs> <laughs> so 10th anniversary of that, 75th anniversary of Batman. It's good good timing of, at the moment. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but um, it is, I must say, this is probably my favourite of the three arcs. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's really good. It introduces us to uh, Rene Mon- Montoya, mm-hmm. as you said, but also her partner, Crispus Allen. Yeah. And these two obviously are, are in the um, Gotham TV show. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much of this themes running through the, this arc or maybe even other arcs that they appear in will be on the, the TV show. Certainly Harvey Bullock this idea of whether he's a disgraced cop or a corrupt cop or whether he's a good cop and he's a mentor for Jim Gordon you know does this hint from what you said in the opening there that you know maybe he's He's not all that good and yeah. actually is, is fairly bent and corrupt. Just one thing I want to say. I know we put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this review section, but I have a feeling that some of this might be spoilers for the Gotham TV show. Um, I think this this could be an arc that could be lifted. Definitely. Yeah, Certainly so. considering the idea that Ed Brubacker, DC, Greg Rooker thought that this could be a, a serialized TV show in its own right. Absolutely. The, there's a high chance that it could actually be part of the story within a story or a main story running through the the show. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. So just in case you're really spoiler phobic and you're not worried about being spoiled in the comic books, but you might be worried about being spoiled in the TV show, this is the one probably to skip. Yeah. <laughs> As you get into issues six and seven, eight and to the end and ten, this this actually becomes quite a heavy arc. Really some strong themes are running through the arc. Yeah. But I, I love actually then, in hindsight, that you're introduced to Montoya and Alan. Alan being this kind of hard-nosed detective who 
really doesn't seem to like many people within the major crimes unit or mm -hmm. within any other department. They get fobbed off on by the robbery unit by, I think it's a Detective Lowe, mm -hmm. to kind of take up this case that they've not managed to close out. They potentially think it's the Catwoman because it's a robbery, but it's actually $10,000 worth of lingerie have yeah. been stolen. And I kind of enjoyed that light element right at the start, this idea, you know, they're expensive jocks and knickers. <laughs> like, they really are. Whether they were even briefed about that case, um, <laughs> you know, or whether you, <laughs> they would even nick as the the actual suspects, uh, which they do. Um, <laughs> they they solve this case very quickly, and it's not mm -hmm. the main theme, but it's just the fact that lingerie can cost ten grand. That's that's yeah. serious. Um, <laughs> that's serious cacks. Serious cement wedge. Absolutely. The other interesting thing that you find with Detective Lowe, then from the the robbery unit, it's just this idea that the MCU, the other units within Gotham City PD, think they're kind of snobs, and he, he calls them MCU snobs hiding behind the bat. You kind of get this sense, and it develops from what the personal problems that the major crimes unit have with the Batman solving their cases, but then you see the office politics whereby. Mm. Every other unit within the police department actually think, well, you guys can't even do your job. You hide behind the bat. The bat does your work. Yeah. You don't do much at all, almost. And that kind of nasty office politics. But I think it's, a, it's an interesting development on purely personal problems that Marcus Driver has with the bat closing out that case. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we kind of find, actually, and it introduces us to the main story arc of this is that as they're investigating this this laundry robbery and you then start to see that actually Montoya seems to be being followed mm -hmm. and there's, there's a car across the road taking photos you suddenly see that they're being followed and it ultimately comes out that this comes from a previous case where she took down a criminal mob member called Lepari, mm -hmm. and he has tried to actually kill her at one point when she was giving evidence in the box, so there's a real tense situation there. But this PI has been hired by Lepari to just follow her, get information on her, it would seem, mm -hmm. take photographs of her uh, during the course uh, of, of the day. And yeah. I, I think Lepari's crime was, it was a, you know, a nasty one, a rape case. They say the easily rape case. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's a nasty bit of work. Absolutely. So yeah, one of the things I really like about this, you get lots of details about Renna Mentor and about her family life. You know, it starts where we have a, a meal with her parents, uh, where she goes over and is again treated to the conversation that many people in their you know late twenties, early thirties get from their parents, which is when are you going to get married? When are you going to find a nice man and settle down? Yeah, when are we going to uh, get grandchildren? And you kind of like just your heart sinks. Yeah, yeah. So she's from um, from an immigrant family. Parents are, are strong Catholics and have a firm belief. And she makes the point, or makes a point in the conversation, why don't you ever do this with my brother? Why don't you ever ever have this conversation with him? As if this is the hundredth time she's had this yeah. conversation with her parents. Really bit of, really good bit of interplay and finding out more details about the character. And it ultimately becomes a really big setup for what happens next. So the PI that's been following her delivers some photographs to her house. And yeah. they are of her in an embrace with another woman. This obviously is a bit of a shock to uh, that Renee has been caught on this. She... Yeah, because she's closeted sort of to her family. Yeah, she's closeted in work, and all of a sudden, through the post box um, in her apartment, she gets 
a brown envelope with two photos showing her in an embrace with another woman yeah. having a, a loving kiss um, after a, a night out. Yeah. And then suddenly a knock on the door, Internal Affairs shows up mm-hmm. at her apartment. Detectives Esperanza and Conway, mm-hmm. the two guys, they come in and they say that this private investigator is dead and they can't find Lepari. They insinuate that because it's all surrounding Lepari, a case that she previously worked on, they stop bringing up this idea that Harvey Bullock you know, has lost his job, that he was rotten to the core, and maybe some of that has spilled over onto her reputation within the police. Has yeah. it been her that ha- has caused this disappearance? Is yeah, there something she, bigger afoot? She, and she makes the point to her partner that internal affairs are obviously... The, the one group of people that every single police officer seems to hate because it looks like the internal affairs are trying to take down all the good cops internally, you know, and obviously the sights are going to be put on her because Harvey was taken down yeah. as well, she sees it by the internal it's affairs. It's like HR in a, in, in a regular <laughs> office. <laughs> the internal police, that, that yeah. kind of, you know, the military police, this idea that the people that police internally within an organisation, they have this conversation... Does she know anything? Mm -hmm. She's not necessarily a suspect at this time, but does she know that she was being followed? She does because of the photos, but that's the only reason. But then all of a sudden as well... Yeah, she gets into the office and these photographs have been plastered on the bullpen billboard for everybody to see. All the police are now aware of her being a a lesbian. They all have their jokes. It's a very male-orientated working environment and they're very critical, I suppose, and it's it's suddenly a huge thing. She's outed in work. Um, And... Actually, it it leads to a really interesting moment uh, within the panels between her uh, and the captain. It's integral to the storyline. It's not put in there for a shock value. It is a shock within the story, but it's relevant for the story. And it it provides for me one of the real standout moments on, I think, page six it is of issue seven, where she's in with the, the captain of the MCU, and they just have this discussion about the internal affairs about Lipari because obviously there is an implication that internal affairs have also been tracking and keeping tabs on Rene anyway mm-hmm. following the Harvey Bullock incident which I think we don't really know what that is yeah. at this stage the captain wants to just offer some advice to Rene uh, that you know the next steps that she makes will be important for her in the future. Yeah. And it comes a real powerful moment from Montoya then to the captain. The captain does not know anything about what she's been through in relation to the fact that she comes from an immigrant family and potentially all the problems that can occur there. Yeah. She has overbearing, sort of very religious mother and father, and that ultimately she is hiding a secret from them. This spreads out and widens this whole issue of being outed within the office to a much more personal level, a private level, that the battles that Rennie uh, Montoya has had with herself and with her family, as well as in work, about being a lesbian and wanting to be just accepted, but having to be in the closet. And I think the point you make about about her having very few friends or not liking very many people in the police department is a good one. You know, she's kind of got Crispus as as her partner, but it's only a very new partnership, so she's she doesn't have anybody to trust in the office. She does kind of fight back against everybody else's criticism and just kind of trying to ignore it. But it's very difficult for her to find someone to turn to to talk to about yeah. it within the situation. So it leads to a great moment between herself and Crispus where he essentially sees this as a new case that he wants to solve to help his partner out. 
he goes on on the investigation of the death of the PI, totally to ingratiate himself with Rena Montoya, who he totally trusts, totally believes in everything that she's done. She's done, and he makes the realization that somebody's obviously targeting her and wants to take her down. So he realizes that he's going to have to help her out. It doesn't matter to him that she is is gay, mm-hmm. and that's a really important, solid support for her because things from then get worse yeah. because the same photographs are sent to her parents and she's back home and she gets a knock at the door and it's her brother he comes in you realize that she had told her brother when they were 15 and he can't really deal with it either but Mm. he knows it's not an issue but he's still got problems dealing with it because of the wider family and he comes in and tells her that he's managed to calm the parents down yeah, he lies to the parents and says it's a doctored photograph. To to go back to the way things were before Rene, to just deal with the same questions again, but, but why not let them live out the rest of their lives not knowing this truth about you? And so she goes looking for her moral support, which is her partner, and they meet at the lesbian bar. Yeah, the one she'd been. Yeah, it's a fantastic name for for a lesbian for a lesbian bar, definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's, you know, she meets with her partner there, and her name is, I mean, well, there's loads of partners yeah. now. There's uh, Crispus Allen. Yeah. There's now her lesbian partner. Her affectionate kind of little pet name for her is Dee, but her name is Daria. But I think we will call her Dee or Daria rather than partner. Yeah, going you know, forward, yeah. Going so forward, because sure. otherwise, too many, way too many partners. Yeah, maybe that's what she's into. Um, <laughs> she's sat with Dee. She's having a, just a heart-to-heart saying just how awful the day has been. They walk home together after a few drinks and a heart-to-heart. And outside Dee's apartment is... Marty Lepari is waiting yeah. for them, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Marty had kind of just... Videoing the, again her saying goodbye to D and yeah. having a kiss, and she is she's an, she's angry. Oh. This is a woman scorned, completely like the red mist yeah. is seen. She she wants to show to that camera somewhere that'll never be found again. I think uh, on Marty's body, um, <laughs> she uh, she sends D up to uh, up to her apartment to get her out of the way, and then goes and threatens Marty Lapari, telling him if he ever goes anywhere near D, uh, that'll be the last thing he ever does. And it snaps, and she turns around and she gives him a massive punch in the face. Yeah. And great line, locks him, yeah. great line that she just says down to him. You won't be able to die enough. You say it as it is. You stay out of my life. Lepari goes out of there, heads back to his apartment, and the close then of issue seven mm-hmm. is he walks into his apartment and it's just bam, 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 and he gets shot. Yeah. And you pick it up then in the next series of comics where the MCU have been called to this murder of Lepari. Yeah. The gun used is Rennie's. Yeah. And it's right. how has this gone about? Because earlier... In the panels, it's quite deliberate, showing her putting her gun into her safe in in her apartment before she meets with with Dee. Yeah, I love love the section because, again, you know, they set it up quite well that even as a reader, you kind of start to question Rene yourself as to whether she is the murderer. You know, it's set up quite well that it's not perhaps Rene went on afterwards and just 
took Lapari out because he's, of all the things that he's done to her and is starting to destroy her life. Maybe she did take it take it out of him. I think that's really well set up. Yeah, I mean, nothing is crystal clear about Rene Montoya. Mm. You are not entirely sure whether, because of this insinuation with Harvey Bullock and with internal affairs, there is a lot of insinuation that maybe she's not on the level yeah. and, and that she is hiding sort of more devious or corrupt elements to maybe the criminal underworld yeah. than any other cop would have. And I mean, ultimately, it comes back to internal affairs at her door because there's been this murder. So now you have the PI dead. The Pari is now found murdered. And essentially, internal affairs bring her in for questioning and find that her gun is at the scene and she has a bag of coke in her safe. And so it looks to be playing out as some kind of drug gang kind of war or retribution as well as just pure vengeance for Lepari, having tried to kill her in the initial rape case, but yeah. now with this whole outing at work, there's too much coming out about her and, and linking her to sort of maybe taking revenge on, on what's happened. Yeah, and I are very much looking at it almost as a, an open and shut case. Yeah. Once they bring Dee in an interviewer and Dee says that there's been a, an altercation between her and Lapari where Rene hit Lapari, where she threatened him with death. Instantly that from internal affairs, that is, she's done. Yeah. We know what happened to her. And she gets shot. But again, Christmas has got her back. He's going to investigate this to try and save his partner, which is really good to, to kind of see their relationship keep building out over the course of these issues. Yeah, and Christmas Allen goes to the cell. They're having a heart-to-heart between the two of them. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? You need to be straight with me, uh, Montoya. What's going on? <laughs> okay, unfortunate turn of phrase for a gay lady. Um, but you have to come clean to me because there's, there's too much... You know, internal affairs are, are involved. Mm-hmm. The gun was found at the scene. But he does go, I don't think it's you. Yeah. It closes with the reveal. She leans into Crispus Allen and goes that it's Harvey Dent Two-Face who is setting her up. Mm-hmm. And immediately it closes off issue eight. The question you're left with is why? For a serial comic, that's a brilliant end to Absolutely. an issue wanting you to go and buy the next issue. I mean, yep. it, it's great. You know, what has she done? What's this connection then with Harvey Dent? Mm-hmm. And actually, again, when, when that happened, I suddenly thought, she is a corrupt cop. I actually had that feeling. So for me, that question of why, um, you know, why is Harvey Dent trying to do this? I suddenly thought she's completely tied in to the mob. And the question is, you know, how and and to what extent? Yeah, with a fascinating kind of kind of moment that you know Harvey Dent could be trying to take her down. It's it's uh, she she goes all the way to court though on these charges. So you know, yeah, that so was much, yeah. a complete surprise for me. All of a sudden, she's there in court. I just it didn't even enter my head that she was going to be in court. Mm-hmm. Nice line from the judge as well, where she's been in my court before, Danny. I know who she is, I think, referring to the court clerk. And you just have a really nice line just to say, I know who she is, yeah. she's back again. It just adds further questions on to Montoya about, has she been to court how many times before? For what reason? Has it been questioning her, like internal affairs yeah. Yeah. have been doing? Like it could, so it's really as you say, it's, it's the two kind of options. It could be that, you know, obviously she's a police officer, obviously she's yeah. bringing in a bunch of cases to the courtroom. He knows who she is from that perspective, but maybe this still puts that question in your mind. Maybe she's been here before because she's been accused. I think of this for me at this stage, I'm very much looking at her as being as the bad guy, being quite bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the interesting things that comes out of this court part then is that her previous attorney has gone, and that she's got a new lawyer who's being paid for by Bruce Wayne. Yeah. 
Batman. You kind of start to think then, be, you know, behind all of this storytelling, is it the suggestion that Bruce Wayne knows exactly how this is all going to end up? He knows what pressure points are being applied. He knows who's doing what because the Batman is following all these events from a, a top of a building behind the darkness along an alleyway that we're not being shown yeah. as we read these comics. And it's great. It's a really like it, nice little thing, I think, for, yeah. for the whole comic series, is that there's the suggestion that Batman is, is somewhere off-panel. Which is obviously a high-paid lawyer, so she's going to... The, the feeling is, at this point, that she's going to get away with it. Yeah. She's going to get let off this case. Something that struck me at this point, when there was the mention of Bruce Wayne, and then you kind of make that jump to Batman... But the thing that hit me then, and it's really interesting in relation to Gotham as a TV show, is I hadn't really thought about Batman whilst I was reading these issues at that point. Like the story is so engaging, it's so laced with Gotham and the idea of Batman comics, talking about Harvey Dent, talking about Harvey Bullock, all these different things, yeah. but the story stands up on its own. Absolutely. And I had forgotten about the whole Batman yeah, in, in that we're, sense. We're and three I think, or four issues into this arc. Yeah. Three issues, I think, of the five issues. And, it, well, we, and we're in the fourth issue, yeah. and it bodes, I think, very well for, for Gotham TV that uh, you know, as long as they're putting out really strong storylines based in... Gotham, centralised on Gotham, with the history and the canon around it, that that question that has been posed, can such a TV show cope without the Batman? I actually think it probably um, can. I think it, it, it steps up to that that question of it. Yeah. Um, and that, that as long as there's well-written stories, well-written characters, I think we can be assured yeah. that, there's a, that there's enough story to tell within Gotham without using the Batman. Even with just that one simple mention that Bruce Wayne has hired the lawyer... That the bad guy, Harvey Dent, decides now, because she has a lawyer hired by Bruce Wayne, that she's going to get off the case. So, all bets are off now. He sends in his guides to kidnap her, and she is taken back to Harvey Dent's lair. Just really quick aside, Christmas Allen now gets a new temporary partner, because, I mean, it, it's yeah. so obvious that Rene has done something serious has happened here. She's gone to court, and her name is Josephine, or Joe McDonald. And I love this because in a few of the panels, Christmas Allen is getting her name wrong and he's he's just purposely forgetting and he's calling her Mackenzie. And I just thought, considering this group of comics are on Ben McKenzie's Twitter feed, it's part of the reason why we're doing the, these different arcs and mm-hmm. the series of Gotham Central, that actually within it there is this... <laughs> Oh, you know, Joe McKenzie, but you know. Um, ten, ten years ago, they predicted that Ben yeah. McKenzie was going to be the, the star of a new series. Yeah. yeah. It then moves quite rapidly um, from issue nine and issue ten mm. to Harvey Dent's lair. There's the. Uh, I have to say, the depiction of Harvey Dent in this is probably one of the best depictions I've yeah. seen. He is maniacally crazy. There's, there is absolutely that sense of Two Face. The, the flips mm. on a dime yeah. idea is is just omnipresent in everything he says. He seems to be such a normal person that's interested in Rene Montoya. Little weird. And then suddenly he flips completely and he's a hugely threatening person because both personalities are playing off against each other. Yeah, and they do seem to know one another. Um, And he's protective over her as well. And you're kind of going, what is the relationship? It brings it back. Is it a professional one? Because he is... You know, he's he's set her up within the Gotham City Police Department. Or is it more personal? 
And we find out it is personal. In fact, Renee had actually been challenged by uh, by Harvey Dent before, and she used her her knowledge of Two Face versus Harvey Dent. She used that to play the two sides of his personality off against each other um, to convict him, basically, in yeah. another case. Yeah, exactly. So, so because of this, Two Face and Harvey Dent have both become as the one person. They have both become obsessed with Renee Montoya, and. He's decided on this whole plan to destroy her professional and personal life so that she has absolutely nothing to go back on and she will spend the rest of her life with him. He is her safe harbour, basically. Um, He wants her to come and he wants to care for her and look after her and so on. There's a real emotional heart that, you know, in in terms of for Harvey Dent, Uh but for Two-Face, it's almost Harley Quinn to the Joker. He's seen this girl here and then for Harvey Dent, it's just... Uh, the love of his life and yeah. it's a really interesting development that they have because Montoya is kind of almost sickened by this and she yeah, says especially because she says the, the way that he's created this yeah, destruction of her life he murders is, people yeah and it's that the way that she's just destroyed her personal life is by finding out that she's a lesbian and leaking it to everybody yeah so she challenges him on that. How am I supposed to be your partner for the rest of your life when I'm a lesbian? And you know this. Yeah, you've shattered my family. You've killed my career. I've got nothing left. And Harvey replies to her, you have me. And it's that point, and it's the great thematic point, I think, of this entire art. Harvey says, you've been living two lives, and I've broken them down, the wall between both of them. You know, those two lives of being gay, but acting straight, mm-hmm. and being a, a cop but also having this affinity with the the criminals in the way that she had, which brought down Harvey Dent. It ties in with the the title of this art Mm -hmm. and and the main protagonist, which is Harvey Dent Two-Face. Really interesting. It links these these two people together with their two lives uh, really, really well, I think. But it's the start then of Rennie Montoya going, I hate you because of this. I never wanted anything more you've destroyed everything yeah, whatever about spending the rest of the fairy tale life together they probably spent about three minutes together before she wanted to kill him in the meantime you have this scene where christmas allen is trying to light up a cigarette in the corridor at the police department could tell uh, this was 10 years ago yeah and yeah exactly um and he thinks he's talking to detective crow the lights are out and they're kind of discussing the the case and where has Rennie Montoya been taken to? Mm-hmm. How are they going to find her? The corridor's dark. Asking all these different um, questions. He's asking Crow, will you just turn on the light? And guess who? He looks around and it's Batman. Yeah. And Batman's flown out the window. Christmas Allen is there chasing after him and it's like, get in the car, follow him. What's unraveling is Harvey Dent's two faces taking over because Rene Montoya has, like said, you have completely destroyed my life mm-hmm. and looks at him and says do you not realize i am a lesbian do you really think i could come to you you can't look after me sexually because i'm a lesbian mm-hmm. i have my other partner in the form of d and that's when he goes completely two-faced yeah. flips out and says i'm gonna kill her because mm-hmm. then you will have nothing so this leads into a fight between Rene and, and Harvey Dent. So they're, while they're fighting, it uh, looks like Harvey Dent's about to kill Rene. It becomes more physical. Yeah, much more physical, yeah. Not in the way that Harvey Dent hoped, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> but here arrives the Batman to save the day. <laughs> but it becomes another great conflict between 
the the police and detectives and mm-hmm. and Batman because she wants to kill him. She wants to kill him. She goes, he will just escape in two to three years' time. He'll try and do it to her again. Dem- and Batman again. is that is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Either Dent killing you and I've saved you, or you now killing Dent and that's not acceptable to him. But I think she has a point. It's the worst penal record in in America. <laughs> yeah. it, you know. Criminals never seem to stay locked up for too long in Gotham. Yeah. Um, but that's not how the bat rolls. So uh, no, yeah, you know, he he's it's that he never kills. You know, yeah. but Harvey Dent has done one thing for for Rennie. He has broken down that wall between the two sides of her life, and she can no longer go on just accepting this and going back to the old life where her Catholic parents tell her what to do and and ask her constantly about kids and family. So she goes to break the news and talk to her parents and yeah. finally tell them the truth. Yeah. With Daria sat out in the car wait, yeah. waiting for her. Yeah. yeah. A very emotional, very emotional end to the, to the arc. Yeah, it's a heartbreaking scene when she comes back and tells Dee what's actually happened. You'd assume that a story like this, which is, you know, a really well-written story about, about a coming out in a really difficult situation, you would assume it was going to end with oh, her parents, you know, they'll, they'll work through it, it'll be okay, but yeah. it's very much, she's, she comes back to Daria and says... She's been written off. Her parents don't ever want to see her again. Her, father, her dad doesn't say anything. Her father has just uh, has just shut down completely, and her mother has said she only has one child. Yeah, and she will burn in hell, and it's just awful. But it ends still. It's really emotionally charged kind of set of uh, panels within in the comic. It ends with with hope. Her Her girlfriend turns around to her and comforts her and saying, I've got you. I'm there. I'm supporting you. And it's a real powerful moment of their relationship and really supportive uh, and the comic ends yeah and so does our reviews of the first 10 issues of, uh, of Gotham I, yeah. I've really enjoyed Gotham absolutely so these the, have been really good issues I'm a, I'm a comic book fan I've, I've read hundreds if not thousands of comic books at this stage and this is one that just passed me by I'd never read it yeah. Yeah, I'm delighted this has given me the opportunity there have been really to... three arcs 10 issues of the comic that have been really good and I mean the standout for me is the final arc, the Half a Life. Um, they are excellent, uh, really excellent. I mean, even if you don't want to necessarily read all ten issues, at least pick issues six through to ten, Half a Life by by Greg Rucker. Excellent, um, excellent story arc. I mean, for me as well, this would be a total recommend for for people who are certainly excited about the up-and-coming TV show, but are also excited and, and want to find out more about Gotham as a city and the people who inhabit it. Because, you know, we, we know Batman and we know other aspects quite well, and this just this opens up and broadens the horizon. A bit like what Frank Miller was looking to do was to create depth to the, these characters of Batman uh, and Jim Gordon mm-hmm. by giving a greater depth to their city that they inhabit. For me, this is easily a four sheriff stars or four batarangs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd highly, recommend. I'd highly rate so far. Um, this is this is a higher recommendation than the movie Year Zero that we had last week. I'd definitely be very close to John in the four stars so far. We've got you know quite a bit left to cover. Um, Still thirty more issues yeah. to go, which I think we will space out. We won't necessarily be doing these all back to back for our next episode we'll be looking at the next three arcs of gotham central uh, and they will be issues 11 to 18 but then i think we'll take a a break from them and and look 
over some other works and then come back to the the remaining issues of, of Gotham Central. It allows uh, you guys to to maybe read some of these for yourself and to come back to us to see whether there's anything you think maybe we didn't spot or any of your comments on some of the things we've talked about today. Yeah, and you can always get us on on Twitter. Um, we're we're around there all the time. Uh, you can send an email to our our Gmail account, which is Gotham TV Podcast at Gmail dot com. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, yeah, connect with us on Google Plus as well. Um, you can even leave a message on Skype if you want to. Mm-hmm. You're more than welcome. Any of those different options to connect with us, please do. And if anybody wants to have a comment read out on on uh, on the podcast, please let us know. We've had some we've had some really nice emails and some really nice contact from you guys and some uh, some ratings on iTunes, which is always always makes us happy. Yeah, uh, to see those. So uh, so yeah, keep doing what you're doing, but get in contact with us if you want to share some comments on our show. Let us know. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. by my co-host. Uh, hi, I'm Derek. I'm your other co-host. I uh, just want to start off uh, by giving a quick apology for a very nerdy, stupid mistake I made in the last podcast. Uh, I obviously know that Watchmen was not by Alan Moore. Uh, it was by Alan Moore. <laughs> I did it again, you see. Uh, I'm, I'm constantly making the mistake. Uh, I, honestly, I obviously know that... <laughs> I obviously know that Watchmen wasn't by written Michael, by Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> One more time. Although I made a mistake, which I can't even remember now. And one more time for the editing. Yeah, but this is kind of the even with just that one simple mention that Bruce Wayne has hired the lawyer, that the the bad guy Harvey Bull Harvey. The Bad Force. Brian Michael Bendis. (laughs) (laughs) That the bad guy, Harvey Dent, decides now, because 